Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 201 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and we are going to be talking today about recognizing cyclops syndromes in patients. Now, we're going to talk about the difference between a cyclops lesion and a cyclops syndrome. We'll be discussing how it presents itself in the clinic. We're going to go over how to prevent this disabling issue, and we're also going to talk about what causes a cyclops syndrome, and so much more. But before we get started, we're just going to take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. Welcome back, everyone. So we've crested the 200-episode mark, and we are climbing. We received an email recently from Clara, who is a PT student, and she says, I have a question about recognizing a cyclops lesion in patients who are post-ACL reconstruction. How can you notice it early or recognize it early and differentiate it from a patient who just doesn't want to push themselves? Well, that's a great question, Clara. We see this on occasion, and I totally get where you're coming from. Sometimes patients just don't want to push themselves, or maybe they don't have great pain tolerance. They don't like to get that knee extension um, or do their exercises at home after surgery. Now, let's start with you know what a cyclops lesion is. When patients have surgery, on occasion, what will happen is, depending on the placement of the tunnels uh, where the ACL goes in, both in the fe- in the femur or in the tibia, um, sometimes they can develop a little bit of scar tissue. And they'll get this excessive amount of scar tissue. Usually it's on the front side of that ACL next to the tunnels. Um, it can occur in different areas uh, around and along the ACL. But typically, it's more, more often happens at the distal um, aspect of the ACL reconstruction. You'll develop this huge amount of scar tissue. Well, what happens is, you know, sometimes that can happen from having a really large graft Sometimes having a large graft and a small V-notch, a femoral V-notch. So this is why we see this more in women than we do in men. Uh, and you, it can happen with people who have had avulsion injuries of the ACL, both at the tibia and femur, but more often at the tibia. And this can also happen in people who have had an anteriorly placed tibial tunnel. Sometimes that occurs more often in those people who have had that tibia, you know, uh, that tibial tunnel a little more anterior. So you can have, you know, this lack of extension for a long time, you know, secondary to swelling, sometimes a post, you know, a tight posterior structure, and from a lack of stretching into extension after surgery. So those are common reasons why people will develop a cyclops lesion or this excessive amount of scar tissue. When that happens, you then start to lose extension, okay? And so when we talk about um, what 
it presents like in the clinic because it's not obvious on the exterior part of the knee. It, it doesn't really associate with a significant amount of effusion, um, and you don't see this cyclops lesion, okay? But when you have the cyclops lesion, what can happen, the number one sign is a lack of terminal knee extension. Okay, so as a result, this patient will develop a flexed knee posture when they're walking. Um, and they can also get a, a quote-unquote clunking type of sensation, especially if they try to push through and try to get to terminal knee extension. Usually those folks will have pain laying on their stomach because, you know, when you lay on your stomach, you like to fully extend that knee. Um, that's quite uncomfortable. Usually these don't present themselves very early on after surgery or after injury. It takes a while to build up that scar tissue, okay? So it usually will start to present itself at, you know, six to eight weeks after surgery. They're still not gaining that extension. They have a lot of pain in the anterior portion of the knee. If you try to extend the patient and they're having pain posteriorly, that's more likely to be a tight posterior capsule, maybe even some tight hamstrings that are limiting that extension. Tight calves can also do that because, remember, your calves are a knee flexor. Um, so you want to make sure that they're really optimizing that, that posterior flexibility. But if you're pushing them into extension, um, and they're getting pain and it's anterior, you need to be suspicious that they're probably developing a lesion, which will then lead into a cyclops syndrome, okay? Now, if you don't have full extension, you're going to develop quad suppression. We just talked about this in one of our recent uh, podcasts. So why is this all very important? Why do you develop the quad suppression? Well, if you get that pinch anteriorly between the tibia and the femur when you're going into extension and that pinch is painful, remember, that is a reason why the quad will just not fire off very well. If the quad doesn't fire off very well, you lose that good medial tracking of the patella and then in the long run could develop some patellofemoral dysfunction. Okay, And so this is just a cascade of events that you just don't even want to go down that road. Okay, Now, some people scar really quickly and it's inevitable. They are just, some people will develop that no matter what you do as a therapist to try to maximize their extension and, and prevent the cyclops lesion from happening. Some people have asked, you know, is there a special test that you can do to help identify a cyclops lesion? And there really is not. Okay, but the key here is when you passively extend that knee and they have that pain in the anterior aspect and it's usually anteromedial, so just medial to the patella tendon, they'll have pain right in that area. Okay, so that's an important thing to look at when you're trying to identify if somebody has a cyclops lesion. Now, how do you prevent this from happening? There are many reasons why people get it in the first place, and most of the time it's, it's a surgical situation, or it's the amount of damage or remnant that there was uh, when the patient injured themselves, okay? But here are the key factors on preventing this after somebody has had ACL reconstruction. You want to get extension, and you want to keep extension, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, okay? You need to get it and keep it. So, you know, I have no problem 
with some people who we think might, you know, have some issues with Cyclops lesion, or maybe they've had difficulty gaining extension before having surgery, it's not a bad idea to get them into a brace and lock them into full extension when they're sleeping at night so that it just, you know, gets that nice low load, long duration extension, and it doesn't allow them to stay in that flex position all night long. Now, if you think that getting the patient to maybe minus two to three degrees of extension, so they're not quite fully extension extended. Maybe they're just off of full extension, and you think that's good. It's not, okay? It's not good enough. You need to get them fully extended. And if they've had hyperextension prior to surgery, it's okay to get into that hyperextension also, okay? You don't need to really push hard into hyperextension, but you need to get to zero, that is very important. And what you'll learn as you go along when you make people contract their quad while they're doing a quad set, and if they have maybe two to, two to three degrees of flexion in the knee, they may be, you might notice some suppression, the, the patella is not moving superiorly very well, and then you work on gaining passive extension, then you have them do a quad set again, it is going to be much stronger, okay? So um, it's, I will put up a bunch of videos on many different ways to gain extension. Sometimes we use devices to gain extension. Sometimes it doesn't require a lot of devices to get it. If you're trying to gain it at home, I'll give you a bunch of different ideas and videos on, on how to do that. So there's really no reason why we cannot get good extension. Now, some people will say, well, is there any damage to pushing into extension early on? And very, very few patients out there are restricted into getting full extension. Now, it, it may be that they had an anterior repair of a meniscus or something like that, and the and the physician might request that we don't push hard into extension, but that is that is super rare. Okay, so I say try to gain that extension as much as you can. Now, activate those quads. You get that extension get the quads to fire, okay? Maybe you're using Russian stimulation. Maybe you're using biofeedback. Maybe you're doing some patella stimulation manually. and But get them to do quad sets. I have my patients get put in 100 to 150 quad sets a day as soon as they can start to activate. So every couple of hours, they're doing 20 to 25 quad sets with good full extension, okay? So you really want to work hard on getting the extension and keeping it, okay, early on. That is the best way to prevent post-operative Cyclops syndrome, all right? So to answer Clara's question about, you know, patient compliance, Let's say the patient, you know, it just doesn't have a lot of pain tolerance. So they just don't feel like doing it, getting that extension and working on the extension at home. You have to do a lot of education. Educate the patient on why they need to get full extension. Okay, show them some pictures of what a cyclops lesion is. Talk to them about the long-term complications, the lack of extension, the kneecap problems. You start to develop that. You can't squat very well. You can't go up and down stairs. I'm not saying use a scare tactic, but if it works and they can become more compliant with, with getting their extension and keeping their extension, you know, it's, it's, the, it's a fact. It's true. That's what happens. And when patients, and when I see a patient who is five, six months out after an ACL reconstruction and they have a flexed knee posture, you're almost guaranteed to see that patient back in the clinic again in the future. Um, so what happens if you can't gain that extension 
two, maybe three months have gone, you know, and they're just having a hard time. They're having pain in that anterior aspect of the knee. You are suspecting a cyclops lesion leading into the syndrome. You need to get in touch with the orthopedic surgeon, okay? They're probably going to do an MRI. They're probably going to take a look at, you know, is there a structural reason why the patient is not getting full extension? And at that point, you know, the, the surgeon can make a decision. Do we go a little bit longer? Do we try to get rid of some swelling, activate the quads a little bit more, and then do surgery? But oftentimes, they, they'll, they'll get in, do surgery, debride that scar tissue out of there, and within a week to two weeks, the patient is already feeling better. But if you don't work on that extension, immediately after they do that arthroscopic debridement, guess what? You're going to end up with the same problems in the future, even if they don't have the cyclops lesion. The quad's going to be weak. It's not going to get the leg into full extension. You're going to end up with patellofemoral problems. The hamstring, the posterior structures of the knee will be tight. So as soon as they have that arthroscopic debridement, you've got to be on that patient again. Okay, full extension, good quad set, good leg control, and then redevelop better a better gait pattern. Okay, so that is the story of Cyclops lesions and Cyclops syndromes. Clara, thank you so much for the question. I think it was an excellent question. I think that there are a lot of PT students out there that don't understand what a Cyclops lesion is and don't understand that it's better to prevent it than to have to recognize it later. All right. Oftentimes we learn from our mistakes. You know, patient goes too long, they end up with the syndrome and you're like, gosh, if I'd only known back then what I know now, I would have pushed that patient a little bit harder with the passive stretching activities. So with that being said, thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you for getting us over the crest of 200 episodes. Be sure to check out all the links that I'm going to put into this podcast um, show notes because I'll have a ton of, and they're older videos, but they all work, okay? And I use these all the time just to make sure that we get that full knee extension and prevent a cyclops lesion from occurring. So folks, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.